Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. By coming out of this physically in the best shape of my life, mentally the strongest I've ever been in my life, and just kind of proving to myself that I can do anything and I can meet any challenge that I have going on. That was my biggest eye-opener and, and achievement. That's this week's guest, Nick Henricks. I get emails and messages from all over the world almost every day. I love it so much. It's like I'm part of a Camino family, a global family. And I was talking this week with my team at work. They weren't aware of collective nouns. So I kind of felt like an old sage. They're all so much younger than me. And I told them about a damning of jurors, a misbelief of painters, a parliament of owls, and my favourite, a murder of crows. Well, the collective noun for pilgrims is a flock. I remember on my Camino in 2017 posting a message on social media that our Camino family was walking across the landscape, coming and going like an accordion, a concertina of souls. I don't think there is a collective noun for souls. I like concertina. If you're new to the podcast, this is a weekly discussion about El Camino de Santiago or the way of St. James. James was one of Christ's apostles. He was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was at the Sermon on the Mount. He was there when Christ was crucified. Not long after Christ died, James fled the Holy Land and went to Spain to spread Christ's word, a message of love and acceptance, of kindness, of joy. The history books say James went back to Jerusalem about 11 years later and was killed for his beliefs. James was the very first martyr. Millions of pilgrims have walked in his footsteps on more than 80,000 kilometres of pilgrimages across Europe ever since. I'm a Camino novice. I've done just two pilgrimages, but I talk to pilgrims every day. I hear their joy. I hear their kindness. And I hear the song they sing collectively, the sound of a flock of souls guided by and protected by the shepherd St. James. Leo Buscalia was an American author and speaker. He was also known as Dr. Love. He said, too often we underestimate the power of a touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, all of which have the potential to turn a life around. What if your touch, your smile, doesn't ring true with the person you're caring about, the person you love? Well, through the course of my Camino, on and off the trail, I've had the great fortune of meeting Bill Arts one of the wonderful people behind the American Pilgrims on the Camino. Bill sent me a message a few weeks ago about Nick Henricks. Nick walked the Camino as an act of caring, hoping to turn many lives around. He's on the line. Nick Henricks, welcome, Pilgrim. Hey, I'm here, buddy. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm doing real well. Tell us, Nick, why did you walk the Camino, Pilgrim? Well, I'll tell you what, there's a, a, a few a few reasons. It's kind of an interesting story. Obviously, first, I was made aware of the Camino through the movie The Way. And then I did some research and started talking to people that had walked the Camino. And for years, uh, I've been inspired by my younger brother, who um, my, our father had MS. And my brother, in his early 30s, uh, walked to Eagle River, Wisconsin, which was 365 miles away from where we lived, to raise money for multiple sclerosis. And then a couple of years later, he rode a 10-speed bike uh, 365 miles to raise 
money for multiple sclerosis. And the interesting story is my father was diagnosed at 48 years old. And my brother, later on in life at 48, was also diagnosed with MS. So he's been my inspiration to, um, to, to physically uh, and spiritually put myself out and do it for a good cause. So that's always kind of been in the back of my mind. And the Camino just seemed right to uh, raise money for an organization where my son lives. I have an autistic son who is, uh, he's going to be 30 Christmas Day, uh, this Christmas Day. And his name is William, and he lives at Misericordia, which is a home for over 600 young adults. And the word Misericordia means heart of mercy in Latin. And this home um, is on 31 acres, and it's um, all diverse religions, diverse races, races, uh, diverse eco, eco, uh, uh, social economical backgrounds, and also they do outreach programs for over 200 families in the Chicagoland area. So that was my inspiration to give back, to walk for these poor young adults who who can't do this uh, pilgrimage, and again for my own personal growth and uh, and spiritual needs. You called it a mental physical and spiritual quest what was what was the most significant do you think the mental the physical or the spiritual gosh you know what it came in stages i've heard it yeah i've heard this quote that there the caminos broke down in thirds and it played true to me the first third was physical. My knees ached. I had shin splints. Uh, I am, uh, I'll be 75 in three more weeks. So, and I was, I wasn't in terrible shape, but I, you know, uh, then, then came the mental to push through the aches and pains and, and, and working on your routine, your daily routine. And the spiritual was the last third where I never felt more alive in my life. I've, I physically could conquer the world. I never felt so good physically, mentally. I, 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 I never had so much energy in my life. And uh, just aware of my surroundings, nature, it was, it, it was very spiritual. It, it, it's a feeling like I've never had. And uh, I've never felt so strong and empowered mentally and physically in my life. What about when you were actually on the Camino, Nick? Did you... Experienced those things like in real time, or was it later that you realized what was going on? Were you able to distinguish between the three on the Camino, or were you simply walk, uh, yeah. walking each day, or did you you have the feeling, oh wow, I'm changing here? Yeah, no. Again, every day there was a new revelation, whether it was the challenge of the walk, or the weather, or my own. Uh, feelings, my own spiritual feelings, my own physical feelings, the companionship that uh, that was, you know, being acquired by meeting and talking to people. So, yeah, every day there was a new little nuance, but I physically could feel myself and mentally getting stronger yeah. every day. It was it was amazing. It was just it it, it just happened. Yeah, how fantastic. And what a wonderful realisation. 
as as you're going yeah, along, yeah. you're feeling stronger all the time, aren't you? Yeah, it's a great feeling, and and of course, well, yeah, naturally, you're going to get fitter when you're walking 25, 30 kilometers a day. It's yeah, all- I was. I averaged uh, I averaged sixteen and a half miles a day, so I walked the Camino in thirty days. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah you really yeah. motored. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you mentioned at the top of the podcast that you were walking um, really to raise money for the organization that takes care of your son, William. But tell us about yes. William. Tell us about your son. Oh, William's awesome. William, uh, again, born Christmas Day. He'll be 30 years old this Christmas. And his, he's one of the, he has taught me so many things, my wife and I, so much. He is like the most gentle human being in the world. He's, uh, he's nonverbal, but he can read. He reads music. He can play the piano. He's great in art. He uh, does Special Olympics. He's quite athletic. Um, he loves to cook, loves to help. He's kind of one of the most generous human beings I've ever met. And what's so neat about special about him he makes you look at life differently makes you slow down and appreciate what you have and and then you try to get into his world every day you like being where he's at he's very again kind and gentle and just he's just you know what he's just a lovely spirit yeah he's amazing he's amazing Mm. so nonverbal. So that's verbal, right? Yeah. So when 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 he was a child, how old was he when you realized that something wasn't quite right? Uh, two and a half years old. Most autistic children get diagnosed between two and two and a half years old. Right. And so so because he went from normal to all of a sudden not making eye contact, not talking, being in a different world. So what you have to do is early intervention. We do physical therapy, speech therapy, um, and uh, there's no medication and there's no curing. You just have to bring them and bring out the best in in whatever they have to offer. And uh, a lot of that brought him around. He makes eye contact now. He'll socially be around people. He doesn't talk to anybody, but he likes being around people. Now, he will communicate if you ask him to talk. If you say, William, you know, he'll, he'll gesture things. And, uh, but you have to say, William, what do you want? And then you make him say it. And he'll, he'll stutter it out. But other than that, it's like dealing with somebody who is um, almost like a, a deaf. Or, uh, you know, you, just, you, you get to read his body language. You know yeah. what he wants. And uh, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. And his memory is phenomenal. He'll, uh, he's got a photojack, photographic memory where he'll come in your house, he'll go through every drawer, he'll go through your pantry, and you can ask him where stuff's at and he'll find it. So he's, he's amazing. Yeah. Now, naturally, people who have children say mm-hmm. once they finish school or university, they are free to roam the world. What's it like knowing your child? will never experience that freedom. Yeah, and that's, that's, again, was one of the motivations, is to walk for William, walk for these other young adults. 
Um, yeah, that's kind of the sad part to know. He'll never have children. He'll never be married. Uh, he, um, and that's kind of sad. That's a very sad part. But I can tell he's, he's very happy. He's very content. He seems to enjoy his world. Um, he seems very spiritual. And uh, he feels very content with his, his life and uh, his lot in life. And he seems to just kind of, uh, I don't know, wants to spread his joy. Yeah. It, it, it's hard to put to words, but it is, it is sad. Now, he will, you know, he does travel. And, uh, uh, but he, he loves nature. He loves to be outside. Matter of fact, I have William this weekend. I get to have William two weekends uh, um, uh, a month, and uh, he loves to walk. We were just out walking uh, before we talked here. He loves being outside, loves to walk. Does he know that he's missing out? I don't think so. Right. I re- really do not think so. It's amazing. You, you would think there would be this depression or sadness or, uh, or frustration all the time. Yeah. But he's always smiling. He's always happy. You know, he will, like any adult he, or, or child, he'll get, he'll, get, he'll get pissed off. And if he gets upset, he'll stomp his feet, throw a mini temp, temp, temper tantrum, but then it's over. But it's very, it's very rare. Very rare. He, he just seems so content and so peaceful. Uh, it's amazing. And, and that's what calms you down. It's almost like I want to be there. I, I, I want to be in his world at times. Yeah. When life gets stress, when life gets stressful, you want to be where William's at, because he doesn't seem to have a care in the world. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Not a care. That's an amazing concept, isn't it? Yeah. No, it's, it, it is. And it's, yeah. 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 It's um, again. I feel more sad for him than he does. He just seems to enjoy where he's at. Yeah, wow. It's amazing. It's it is amazing. amazing, yeah. Golly, what a, what a process and what a fascinating concept. You no doubt when walking the Camino would have sat around talking to other pilgrims and told, yes. them, told them why you were walking and, and what you were hoping to achieve. How would you describe autism to those people who asked about it? How do you describe it? Well, yeah, what you can do. Obviously, there's so many different uh, phases of autism. So many, di- everyone is different. But I tried to explain William, and you explain somebody who, again, is is in his own world. He sees the world through different eyes. He processes things differently. Again, everybody's different. Obviously, his communication skills aren't good, but he again still likes to be around people. So you just explain that how special he is and how important he is to my life and my wife's life. And uh, it's, it's just, it's amazing. And again, talking to people and I told them what I was doing. I had several of them um, contribute money. It was kind of cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They got on my, uh, I have a uh, Instagram and a Facebook and they would get on and and uh, they would contribute through Misericordia's website. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. And it's interesting. I suppose the reason I ask that, Nick, is someone like me who has a very rudimentary understanding of the spectrum mm-hmm. and indeed autism, uh, and I want to be kind, 
but I'm talking from right. a place of no real understanding. So I hope I'm not being unkind. Um, oh, God, no. God, no, 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 thanks, thanks, because I, I really want to be as generous and kind as I possibly can. Oh, and, yeah. And I, I mentioned Leo Bascalia at the top of the podcast. He said, too often we underestimate the power of a touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear. Exactly. It must be, yes. it must be difficult for you having William at home with you this morning and then taking him back to Misericordia. It, it is hard. Uh, let me explain. Um, William's mother and I are divorced. My, my wife I'm talking about now is Gloria, and we've been married for 20 years. But uh, William's mother it, it lives in Chicago, and she got him into Misericordia. Uh, if I had my druthers, he'd be living with me full time. But it was a, a joint thing. But the good thing about Misericordia is he, it, he, they give him a job. He has a job. They do physical therapy, speech therapy. Uh, they do social, you know, they'll take him to baseball games, football games. He's part of Special Olympics. Uh, there's art programs. So those are things that, you know, I could give him, but it would be difficult. And then the big thing is, especially with my age, after I'm gone, he's taken care of for life. And that's yeah. a big thing because yeah. there's no other support system. And so that's actually one of the big things. William will be taken care of for the rest of his life. Now at Misericordia, he lives in, it's like a big college campus. He lives in a home with 11 other adults his age. Half of them are Down syndrome and half are autistic. And so they have to learn to live in, you know, live together. They have jobs. They have to take care of their room. They have to help with laundry. So they're given lots of uh, skills, which, again, I teach him here when I have them. But, you know, they work on him 24 hours a day. They have 24-hour care. And they learn to uh, live with other people and be in a community. So those are valuable things that living alone with me, he couldn't gather all those experiences. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. What wonderful work then they do and how important it was oh, for you to amazing. walk to raise money for them. Yeah. And you mentioned, I yeah. think, at the top of the of the podcast there, Nick, that there are 600 there. Yeah, there's 600 with all sorts of developmental disabilities and, again, all diverse religions, wow. racial and economic. Plus they have an outreach program for 200 other families that don't live there, but they they – they help other adults outside of the program. And, uh, yeah, it's a phenomenal organization. It's, it's a Catholic organization, but you don't have to be Catholic to, mm. be, uh, to be accepted. Yeah, yeah. I wonder of the 600, do you know how many or what percentage have family support? Yeah, um, I, I couldn't tell you that. Yeah. But based on what I've seen, you know, if, when I pick William up or drop him off, it, like just in his home alone, it looks like it's about 70% right. uh, have parents that pick them up or grandparents that pick them up. Yeah. And, yeah, um, yeah so it's it, as far as the whole campus, I really couldn't tell you. Yeah. Some are so severely dis disabled, you know, they're in wheelchairs and they need, you know, they're, uh, they need to be wiped down. They need, you know, 24-hour serious care. Yeah, and so it, it, the, the, it 
the spectrum that ranges quite a bit. Yeah, and the wonderful people who do that work. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. They have, you know, of course, paid employees, lots of volunteers. Sister Rosemary is the the matriarch who started this, and uh, she is she's phenomenal. Mm. She's an angel. If someone's listening now, and I'm going to give the fundraising mm-hmm. details at the end of the podcast, how oh, will what you, kind of you. how will what you are doing make a difference? Where will the funds go to? Do you think? Well, they go to they go to all aspects of Misericordia, to uh, to all their outreach programs for food, of course. Yeah, because they've got to feed uh, these people for all their uh, art projects, for all their expenses for Special Olympics. Any kind of housing, uh, they're always building new housing, repairing housing. Um, you know, uh, they they take uh, all these kids uh, or adults on um, field trips. You know, to whether it's baseball games or to parks, zoos. You know, so and 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 then again to pay for. Uh, you know, uh, speech therapy, physical therapy, yeah. uh, you know, so that's, it really goes to all that and keeping up the grounds because again, it's like a big college campus. So every aspect of Misericordia, the money goes to. Yeah. I, I, I love that you talked about Sister Rosemary and, and she started it all. What a wonderful legacy of what a beautiful yeah. hum, human being, you know, Yes. So often the church gets a bad rap, but so often it gets it right. And you know what? That's interesting. When I told some people about this, that's one of the first things they said, because, you know, obviously there was, uh, not everybody was Catholic I ran into, but there was a lot of uh, people that practiced Catholicism that I ran into. And uh, that was one of the first things they said. You know what? It, it does get a bad rap, and of course, I was raised Catholic, and uh, uh, yeah, I've got my issues also, but that's one of the first things they would say is like, yes, now this is something good, something great that that uh, that the Catholic religion does, and so that made me feel good helping, uh, you know, spread the word and that my son is involved in it and that my family's involved in it. Yeah, that's great. So take us because I do volunteer. Yeah, I do volunteer when they have a lot of other fundraisers. Yeah, right. That's wonderful. So take us to Spain. Take us to the Camino. Yeah. Where did you? How about it? Yeah. (laughs) How about it? Where did you start? Um, You said you're 16 miles a day on average. Um, uh, Tell uh, us about your Camino. Well, I I, first of all, I flew in uh, to Madrid. I took a train to Peblona. Then I took a bus to Saint Jean Pierre de Port and started out. My first day, I uh, even after you know you mentioned Bill Arts, he gave me some advice: don't go crazy the first day, take it easy. Um, you know, so I I only walked uh, to uh, yes, I stopped at Orison, stayed overnight, met some fabulous people. Uh, it, that kind of was a great experience to kick it off. Because I was physically tired, but not totally drained. Uh, got the Camino experience. We're meeting people, having dinner. My first night in El, in Albergue. It kind of just kind of set the tone, and uh, so I thought that was great. Then the second day, fi- finishing the Pyrenees, 
I was a, a mess physically. <laughs> I was so exhausted. I mean, my legs were like jello, but uh, I was encouraged the first day saying, you know what? This is, this is phenomenal. And so it just, and then just the people you meet. Um, I met, in the beginning, I met a lot of young 30-year-old uh, women in their 30s who, uh, it was strange, all college educated. They'd all just quit their job to just kind of do some soul searching and trying to figure out where they're going next. It was amazing. All these young women from all over the world. It was, it was just phenomenal. And that was very encouraging. And then meeting just people from all over the world. It was just, it was exhilarating. Yeah. And uh, it, it was, it, it was phenomenal. <laughs> I, I can't tell you how exciting that was and sharing stories. And uh, unfortunately, I was usually the oldest in the group. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I, I held my own. And uh, I guess what was cool is how you would go in and out of meeting people. You'd walk alone for a while, then you'd meet a new group, or a couple of people would take the day off, and then you would never see them again, but you'd run into new people. And, um, and some of the young men I met were so inspiring and uh, how intelligent they were and uh, how much ahead in life they were when I was in my 30s. They were just so mature. They, they just wanted to experience this walk, figure out what their next move was, and, and again, to meet people. It was, it, it was phenomenal. And then just the countryside and, and going through the vineyards in the beginning of the, the trip. And at the end, with, with all the cows and the sheep and the, and the cattle and the countryside, uh, I was walking with a bunch of uh, people from Ireland and England and Scotland, and they just it, couldn't believe how the, the terrain looks so much like England and Ireland, especially the last third. It was just, uh, I, I don't know, I just, I loved the Spanish people. I loved their culture. Coming from America, Europe has it right. I was so jealous the way they live. It was funny, almost to a person, everybody I talked to, a lot of them had been to America, Nice place to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there. <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> how they much they they embraced their cultures, and uh, and how much. Uh, ouch! I felt so stupid because everybody could speak two three languages, and I struggle with English. It just <laughs> amazing. It was just amazing. <laughs> how stupid I felt. <laughs> you mustn't say that. And, that is so funny. But, well, I'm serious. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. So, but I had a lot of different life experiences I shared with them. And so I think I brought some knowledge and humor uh, to them also. You know, I, I shared some of my, yeah. uh, my life experiences with them. Yeah, how wonderful. What did you find most challenging about it, do you think, Nick? Huh. Well, for me, um, I, I, I guess I was afraid of failure. I think that was the mental part. Uh, afraid of breaking down and disappointing myself and everybody else that I had promised I could do that. So that scared me. And then I had a, uh, uh, a scare. Uh, matter of fact, the third day out, 
I lost my voice. I had a, a, a bad head cold and it developed into a bad chest cold. And I was spitting up yellow uh, and I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to get pneumonia uh, or my trip's over. And that was the most scared I was. And again, here's the Camino giving out gifts. I, I met uh, a bus driver, retired bus driver, just lost his wife. He was in his about 66 years old. And we were sitting at this albergue at dinner. And he says, who needs, who needs some antibiotics? My doctor gave me a bunch and I don't need them. I raised my hand and said, I need them. And those antibiotics and getting cold medicine, I think saved my Camino because I, 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 I shook this cold. The chest cold never got any worse. And uh, within a week, I was feeling great. But that was my biggest challenge that I thought I was done. I, I was going to have to pack it in because uh, a year before I had gotten pneumonia and, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm getting it back mm. and uh, I'm, I'm going to break down. But so that was, again, my biggest challenge. Wonderful. That, that was it. And then the downhills and all the damn boulders and heavy rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Everybody that thinks everybody thinks going uphill is hard. Going downhill oh, is easy. harder. Yeah. That's harder. That's what ripped me up. Going uphill is a piece of cake. Yeah. Going downhill and then the, when the when the, you had the heavy boulders and rocks, uh, you just was you know you had to watch so you wouldn't twist an ankle because again, that was that was the hardest part is just not wanting to break down, not wanting to disappoint uh, the people I promise and disappointing myself. Yeah. I made a promise to myself and to William. Yeah. Wow, what a so dad. That was, uh, yeah. What a so dad was, you are. Cool. How fantastic. Thank so you. what did you learn about yourself then in the course of the well, Camino? That's a good one. Well, I think the, that I always thought I was a strong person, and I've persevered through a lot in my life. Um, my first wife uh, died of cancer, and she was given a year to live, and she lived five years, and I that was a... A, a rough part of my life and uh, that was eye-opening but so I knew I, I had some grit but this was an eye-opener I, 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 I physically knew I could do it uh, and so it just it, it gave me strength to go on gotta remember that was another reason for 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 walking is okay I'm going to be 75. What's next? What's the next phase of my life? I, 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 I want to do more. And so that, by coming out of this physically in the best shape of my life, mentally the strongest I've ever been in my life, and, 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 and just kind of proving to myself that I can do anything and I can meet any challenge that I have going on. So that uh, that was my biggest eye opener and, and achievement. So I feel great, feel strong, and uh, I, I'm ready to take on the next however many years I got left. Oh, how fantastic! Tell me about the Taxman Bar in Leon. Oh, the taxi. Yeah. <laughs> Funny story. So, so uh, Bill Hartz told me about it, and I said, I'm, and again, being a child of the, of the '60s, I uh, was a big Beatle fan. 
Matter of fact, I actually got to see him in concert in Chicago. Wow. Uh, back, back in the early 60s or mid-60s, they were here. And uh, so he told me about it. I said, well, I got to go see this place. So when I was in Lyon, uh, matter of fact, I got in to Lyon and uh, we, I was with a group. We had walked in together and they had already booked like a, a little, it was a albergue, but it was a little upscale. So you could get your own private room. So I got there because I wasn't feeling well. And uh, b- b- believe it or not, I had uh, diarrhea. <laughs> Let's be honest here. And so that, that next day I had to go do my laundry and I went to the tax man bar, but I couldn't drink because, again, I couldn't stay long because um, of my condition. But it was just phenomenal. I took, I had the bartender take pictures. It was so cool. I wish I could have stayed there for hours, but it was, it was, it was just great. But I had to get back to take my medication so I didn't miss a day of walking. And thank God everything was good. I, I, I kept on walking. I got to go back someday so I can really have a cocktail. <laughs> and listen to some more Beatle music. Yeah, because it, it's a it's a bar in Leon, um, yeah, a Beatles bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Beatles bar called the Tax Man. The Tax oh, it was great. Yeah, it was it was great, and I I, I thank Bill for it because it was just kind of one of those little little highlights that uh, you know I enjoyed. It was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I see. My there another reason is uh, most of my career I've owned bars and restaurants. And I've owned nightclubs and comedy clubs. So any kind of a cool bar I like to look at. And, and, right. Uh, yeah. So I study. So that's part of my DNA, too. <laughs> yeah, because it's you wrote to me, and that was my next question. Funny you should mention what you do for a living or did for a living, because you said I did, that you, right? you, you work for Rahal and Letterman and the Lanigan IndyCar race team. What? Yes, I, where I work. Yeah, I do hospitality for that race right. team, IndyCar race team. Right. Yeah, so that's that's cool. We we travel around 18 races a year. We travel around the United States and Canada, and uh, it's kind of fun. Yeah, because, uh, um, uh, well, uh, Will Power is from my hometown. Oh, that's right. That's right, he is. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, uh, well, but how about, uh, I just went blank again. There's another IndyCar racer from Australia. Scott McLaughlin, he's just started. He was a rookie this year. Right, he was a rookie. But there's Scott Dixon. Yeah, I think Scott Dixon is from New Zealand. Oh, he's New Zealand. That's right. He's he, yeah. He's a Kiwi. That's right. Yeah, he's, you're yeah. right. Yeah. No, I really. But now we have. Yeah. I really love IndyCar. I really love NASCAR and IndyCar. Oh, you do? Yeah, it's a strange thing. It's a weird thing. I don't know why, Nick. I I really love motor racing, and I, I you know, it's not very. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because when I was on Camino and told people, a lot of people in Europe were like, "Well." What, what, what is that? I said, it's like F1. Yeah. So they knew F1, but that was it. Yeah. Now we have uh, three drivers next year. We've got two new drivers. We've got, of course, Graham Rahal. We've got Christian Lungard, who's an F2 uh, driver. Yeah. And J- Jack Harvey. So we've got three uh, guys. We, we lost, uh, we didn't resign Takuma Sato, uh, which he won the Indy 500 for us a couple of years ago. Yeah, right. They didn't re-sign him. Why didn't they re-sign him? Uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. A lot of it's money. Yeah, right. A lot of it's age. He's going to be 43. Yeah. Uh, and so, 
you know, I think there was money in politics. You know, it's business. It's a business. Yeah, of course. So, but uh, so they got this Christian Lung, and they wanted some youth. Yeah, Jack Harvey's young, and Christian Lungard is young. He's from Denmark. Right on. How fantastic. Oh, no. We, we, yeah, so we, I'm we're, excited. Yeah, yeah. We're getting off the subject. But let me just ask you quickly then. No, if, if Sato won, won the Indy 500, what was it like catering after you've won an Indy 500? Well, it's pretty cool. I got the ring. I got the big ring. Yeah. I'll have to send you a picture of my ring. And then we did a press tour in the Chicagoland area because uh, um, Mike, the boss I work for, Mike Lanigan, we're in the Chicagoland area. So – we did this big press tour and we had the car all over the city of Chicago on the Chicago River and news media. It, it was just phenomenal. It was fun. Yeah, I'll bet. A lot of partying. It's great. <laughs> How fantastic. Let's go back yeah. to, to the Camino. Uh, tell us sure. a, tell us about the cruise de Ferro. Oh, that was my emotion my most emotional part. Um, I carried uh, six seven stones with me. And uh, I carried a couple for, uh, for Misericordia. I carried one for my family, uh, my mother and father's family, uh, for my wife, Gloria, her family, her mother and father's family. I carried one for um, a, a couple grandparents of stepchildren who lost their grandparents for them. And then I carried one for my first wife who passed away from cancer. I carried a stone for her. So I, I did some videos on it and uh, paid tribute to each, each of those stones. And I was there for over an hour. Mm. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was my most, most emotional part of the walk and satisfying too, because it, it just kind of was very lethargic. And uh, I got some feelings out and, uh, some tears and uh, yeah, it was very special. It was, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it other yeah. than it was once in a lifetime. Do you remember what you felt as you walked away from Cruz de Ferro? You know, I, I actually felt satisfied. Yeah. That is kind of like I unloaded some feelings, some prayers, some thoughts and I felt good. I felt that uh, I felt good about paying tribute to to uh, to again to to relatives and or, you know people who've passed on, people that mm. I love and, mm. and I cared for, and my family and my wife's family, and just you know, and of course for Misericordia. And so, yeah, it, it felt good. I felt I felt light. I felt even more inspired so it just yeah it, yeah it's 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 very you know it's like lethargic it's like talking it out so i talked to these people i talked to the rocks <laughs> it was great yeah it, uh, you know what an opportunity what a what a wonderful thing to have to kind of just you know unload mm. it was uh who needs a psychotherapist i had cruz de ferro <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about walking into Santiago de Compostela. Ah, that's another experience. Well, my last day, I walked uh, 24 miles because uh, I just, I wanted to go. My first thought, I was going to go maybe 
maybe walk about 15 miles and then uh, finish up, you know, be fresh, walk in early in the morning the next day. But I thought, wait a minute, I'm going to do this in 30 days. Forget 31 days. I'm doing this in 30 days. So I walked 24 miles. Unfortunately, I didn't get there till 6.30 that night. And so, but I walked in and it just was like, again, yeah, the tears, yeah, the, the joy, the relief, uh, seeing other pilgrims. Uh, right away, I saw a couple of pilgrims that I'd walked with and saw earlier that day. So you hug, you high five, you get your picture taken. <laughs> I couldn't get my certificate till the next day because the office had already closed. But it just, uh, it just, uh, just another kind of special moment that you you'll never forget. Yeah. Uh, and then I stayed a couple days because uh, you know you have to make a plane reservation several days out because you don't know how long it's going to take you. So I spent three days in Santiago. I'm sorry, yeah, in Santiago. And every day I'd come back to the square to meet people that, you know, I'd hope I'd see. And so that was great. You know, hugging, kissing, high-fiving pictures with uh, people that uh, I'd met along the way. So that that actually was as much satisfying as me me arriving. It was, it was phenomenal. I love that city. Santiago was phenomenal. I can't wait to go back there. It's interesting, isn't it? And people often say that they are, the day they arrive, they're a pilgrim, but the following day, they're a tourist. Um, yeah, well, that, that's, it's amazing. That's what I was. The next day, okay, pilgrim, did it. Now I want to see this city. I want to, uh, you know, go to the cathedral. It was phenomenal. I was a tourist. Yeah. Thank you. You described what I was. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I do want to go back and, and uh, walk some more. Uh, I don't know if I'll do the Francis. I'm not sure. Um, but we'll see. I definitely want to go back to Spain. I'm just trying to think of the, uh, what's the uh, the end of the world? I want to go there. Oh, yeah, Finisterre. I'm sorry. Yeah, I want to do the Finisterre, the mm. three-day walk to Finisterre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have just one last question, Nick, and that is, sure. t- tell us a Camino story. You know what? My story is about taking in the culture. There isn't one story, but I guess the thing that rang true is the people I met and the joy I got when locals, you'd walk through town and they would say, Boy Camino. That meant a lot to me. That meant that they acknowledged my pilgrimage and they acknowledged that they appreciate us possibly, you know, supporting their town, spending money in their town, and they appreciate what we went through. So that that story resonated through every town. Uh, the, the the people again that I met in the and how wonderful the Spanish people were, and then, uh, gosh, there were so many stories. I had just the crazy people I met. I met a crazy Irishman, I guess. Who just <laughs> I know more about Ireland than I do the United States. This guy was an encyclopedia. Every day I'd have to hear a new story about Ireland, Irish culture, 
heritage. I guess that was, of course, his name was Sean. Go figure. <laughs> and Sean just gave me an Irish history lesson every day, a culture lesson. Uh, uh, it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it was it was great. I mean, I'm 25% Irish, so I was very interested. But it, it, was, it was just phenomenal. Just that character alone, I walked with the most. And so he... I don't know. I guess I got an Irish history lesson. That was kind of <laughs> the ongoing story. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was about the people. It was just about the people. And uh, and you know what? All the architecture. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It, you know, living in the States and seeing all that history and how people... It it just blew me away. Yeah. Just, just blew me away. Just... Uh, my story is everything I saw and smelt, uh, and uh, the smells. Now, being in the fall, obviously, they were putting manure on all the fields, so you smelled manure all the time. You're walking through, stepping on cow patties, and the smells, of the, it, I loved it. I, I just ate it up. It was great. You have real... And unbelievable challenges ahead, and you've been through very real and unbelievable challenges in the past. And I talked at the top of the podcast about Christ, about his doctrine, his beliefs. I can't mm. help thinking so much of what he taught has been lost in the bricks and mortar, the habits and gowns of church. But someone like yes. you sums up yes. perfectly Christianity, walking in the footsteps of Christ. So thank you for your commitment to your son your undying oh, love, and your spirit of adventure. You are really the ultimate Camino angel in many ways. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking well, with you, Nick. You're too kind. Buen Camino. <laughs> Buen Camino to you, sir. Thank you. My guest this week was Nick Henricks. Nick walked the Camino to raise funds for the community that cares for his 29-year-old autistic son, William. Just go to Misericordia, M-I-S-E-R-I, C-O-R-D-I, misericordia.com. As Nick said, misericordia is Latin for heart of mercy. I can't think of a better way to say we are blessed, this flock of pilgrims, under the watchful eye of St. James. Leo Buscalia was an American author and speaker. He was also known as Dr. Love. He said, too often we underestimate the power of a touch, a smile, a kind word, a listening ear, an honest compliment, or the smallest act of caring, all of which have the potential to turn a life around. Let's all try to turn a life around. Many of us have been fortunate to turn our own lives around. If you're inclined to donate, that website again is misericordia.com. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way, somewhere along